All right, Eastside, man, it's good to see you today. Thanks for coming out on kind of a, this is a weird weekend for us. It always is after Thanksgiving before we kick into the, the Christmas craziness. But man, it's good to see a good crowd here. Thanks for being here, coming out and being a part of it. Um, that's one of our favorite songs, All My Hope Is In Jesus, isn't it? You like that song? It's one of our favorite ones here. And um, if you kind of think about it, that is the heart and soul of everything we believe and everything we do um, in a worship service. Our hope is in Jesus and nothing else. And so that's kind of, I was thinking that when we were singing it, that's kind of the pinnacle. There's nothing more to say other than that. So thank y'all. Have a great weekend and we'll see you later, okay? Please don't go yet. I want to teach you a powerful lesson from uh, the Word of God. Hey, anybody like seafood? You like seafood? Shout it out. All right? All right. A lot of seafood lovers here. Even if you don't like seafood, if I could serve it to you on the beach... Come on now, huh? On a warm day when the sun is coming up over glistening waters, you might change your mind about that. That fits the last story that we're looking at in the Bible under this series title, Burgers with Jesus. And it's been a good four or five weeks, a lot of fun with that when we've looked at this. And if you're visiting from out of town, you're going, what in the world are they talking about? And I hope one of the things that during this series has kind of resonated with you is that when you're reading scripture and you're just kind of looking at different things in the Bible, pay attention, man. Pay attention to times when Jesus was eating because when he ate with people were the times in which he brought out these incredible life lessons, incredible over dinner tables and mealtime. And so we've been looking at a few of those, and today we end it with the last story that we'll look at about this eating with Jesus thing, and it was a seafood meal that he had with somebody that he deeply, deeply loved. It was about seafood. Now, it's kind of a fish story, really, when you think about it. And we've all heard corny fish stories. Um, you remember the, uh, remember the two uh, buddies, the two young kids who went ice fishing one day in the northern frozen tundra of Minnesota? They went out on this little pond, and they dug their holes about 10 foot apart, and they sat on buckets, and they just threw their lines in. And the kid on the right, man, as soon as he gets it, he's got a bite, he pulls it, man, it's a key. And the kid on the left, man, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. But this kid on the right, man, every time he puts it down, another bite, another fish, another bite, another fish. This kid, nothing, man. And so after a while, the kid on the left just, he said, man, what is going on? Same bait, same place, same size holes. How come that's happening? And his buddy said to him, he said, what'd you say? He said, dude, I can't understand a word you're saying. And he goes, you got to keep your worms warm. And that'll get you some. Now, some of you are going to be recovered from that, are you? But the fish story that I want to talk to you about today in the Bible is not corny at all, man. Here's what it will do. Here's what it'll do. 
And I wanna give you a little bit of inside information before I kind of bring it all out. I, I, I start thinking when I'm gonna preach about 24 hours or so before, I start mentally, emotionally, passionately kind of, I start getting in the zone, getting in the zone. And that's where I can feel it and I'm ready for it. Akula and I talk all about that. Um, we prepare, you know, all we can for this moment, but it's getting in the zone, spirit getting me in the zone. And why I'm passionate about what I'm gonna to talk to you about today, this fish story, is it is the great equalizer. Because once I tell you what it's about, every person in the room is going to say, dude, I'm there. I know, I know what that's like because I've been there. Because this fish story describes what God thinks of you when you mess up. And I'm not, I'm not talking about really bad people who do really, really bad things. That's another sermon. That's not what this is about. This sermon is about good Christian people. Like you, a lot of you, like me. And we're going about life, man, and we're just, we're just trying to do the best that we can. We really are, man. We're just trying to bring honor and glory to God and, and be an example. We're just trying. And then every once in a while, though, man, we just, we just mess up. And we make a bad decision, a bad choice, and we do something that we're probably not supposed to do, or we, we drift away a little bit. And it's not because we're horrible people. It's because we're people. And even the Apostle Paul, who, who may be the greatest Christian ever to walk the face of the earth, he said, that was him. He said, man, there's some good things that I know I ought to do. And man, I just, I just sometimes don't do them. And I know I should, but I just don't. And there's some bad things that I know, man, I just shouldn't do that. And then every once in a while, Paul said, you know what, I've, I find myself doing that. And that might be you, okay? It's why this is the great equalizer. We're all on the same page here because we all been there. We all been there. Doesn't mean you're a horrible person, just means you're a person. And some of y'all are at the point, when you ever get a room like this and this many people, there are a number of people in this room who are thinking right now, dude, it's not just that I know what you're talking about, it's that you're talking about my life Dude, right now, because I mean, last weekend, or six months ago, or a year ago, man, I, I was there. And so whenever you find yourself there, as we all do, the question is, what does God think of you at that moment? And what would God want to say to you individually? What would he say to you? Because what we do is we believe the devil, don't we, huh? And the devil tells us all kinds of things about our moments of failure that are not true. And God has a word for you and for me, and he shared it around a meal over seafood. And it's a story that a lot of you have heard about in your Bible, and we're going to break it down today. It comes at the end of the book of John, and it was the relationship between Jesus and a guy named Peter. And if you're a Bible person, you know why it's kind of a big deal because Peter had denied that he even knew Jesus 
on the night Jesus needing the most in order to save his own neck. And so Jesus had been betrayed by Peter three different times. And now these two guys are back together and they're gonna eat together. And Jesus is going to tell Peter what he thinks of him in his moment of failure. And when I read this story to you, what you're gonna find out today is that some of the things that Jesus said to Peter are probably some things you might need to hear. Now I'm gonna do it a little differently today. My, my sermon's a little out of my comfort zone. It's not quite my style, but I'll do the best I can. I just wanna read the story to you. It's a long story in John chapter 21, and we're gonna read the whole thing. And I'm gonna kind of break it down in parts while I'm reading it. I'm gonna stop at certain places because I think there's different places in this story where if Jesus were, were saying this, I think he'd stop at some places. Now, did you hear that? Because this is what I think about you. And it happens a number of times. And you'll, you'll kind of catch what I mean when I, when I get going here. So I'm gonna start in John chapter 21. That's where it's at, the first verse. And just let me read a few verses to start it, get us in the mood. And um, I'm not gonna put it on the screen. I want you to hear the story. But there's a few parts of the, the text that I want you to see it. And I'll put those up there. So John 21, verse one says this. Is anybody in the house right now praying for my voice? Come on now, huh? Okay, so help me with this, okay? And some of y'all saying, Lord, I've heard enough. And, and, so here we go. Verse one. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, who was called Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were all together. And then and Peter said something, I want you to see this. Peter said, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, you probably have heard that. If you're a Bible person, you've heard that part of the story, and you may not have seen anything there at all that stands out. But I want you to see this. I want you to think about Peter for a minute. Peter was a lot like us, man. He was a good guy. In fact, I mean, he was, he was, he was all in to the kingdom of God. He left everything to follow Jesus for three years. And man, he was there. And when the church started, Peter was the one that started the whole thing. So this is the real dude, okay? This isn't just a, some horrible guy did a horrible thing. This is the real dude. But Peter was one of those guys that even though he was all in, he still messed it up a lot of times. He was the first guy, he was the very first guy publicly who ever in front of other people looked at Jesus and said, you are the son of God, you're him. And that was big in those days. And in the very next breath, Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem, they're gonna kill me. And Peter said, no, you're not. That's not how we're gonna do it. That ain't gonna, have you ever tried to order God around? Uh, I have. Okay, so how can you, you know, be the first guy to profess him and then you, you call out Jesus, okay? What kind of a bonehead move is that? You remember when they arrested Jesus the night before they died? And, and if you read that account, Jesus was very laid back. He was calm. He didn't fight it at all. He was gentle. He didn't say anything. He didn't swing back. You remember what Peter did? Peter picked up a sword and cut the ear off one of those cats trying to arrest him. 
And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, what in the world are you doing? And Jesus reached down, picked the ear, and put it back on the head. Wouldn't you have given anything to see that? And, and here's Peter acting like an idiot. He's the guy three times who said, I don't know him, in order to save his own neck. So that's Peter, okay? Uh, goes from high to low, kind of like you might at times. And so here, here's Peter, and we're, we're on the Sea of Tiberias, and he's got some of the other disciples there, and Jesus has died, and they've buried him, and he's raised from the tomb, and it's right before he goes back up into heaven, and Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And if you've read that account, you may never have thought anything in the world about Peter going fishing, but it is huge because Peter used to be a fisherman. That's what he was professionally. And he left all that to follow Jesus. And there is, there is a hint, there's a sense here that what Peter is saying is now this is kind of all over and I'm going to kind of move back to who I used to be. Have you ever sensed that about you? Where it just seemed like, it's not that I'm a bad person, but I look at my life and, you know, I'm, I'm, not, quite, I'm not quite where I used to be with God. And I'm not in the word as much as I used to be. And I'm, I'm not praying as much as I used to be. And, and I've found other things to do rather than to come to church. And, you know, I'm just kind of moving my way back a little bit. And that's what's happening here. And Peter starts to, not a bad guy, he's starting to drift backwards. And so the story tells us that they fished all night <laughs> and they didn't catch anything. Now, that's not unusual for you if you fish. I mean, everybody who fishes knows what it's like to go out and fish and catch anything. That's real unusual here. Because they used big nets, and they threw them out, and they drug them through the waters, and you always caught fish, always. And they didn't catch anything all night long. How come? How come? Say, Dave, are you telling us that God moved the fish away? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Because that's one of the things that God does to us when we make these blunders, when we slip. And that is that he reminds us that things aren't gonna work out so well for you now because you chose your way over his way. And so here's one of the things I think God would say whenever we slip. I think this is what he would say. Let's put it up on the screen. One, two, three, there we go. God will say, your way isn't working so well, is it? And gang, I can see that in my life and I can see that in people I pastored through all the years is that when we drift and when we make poor choices, it just seems that life gets a little complicated. And maybe at times it's because we live in a sinful world and we just deal with the consequences of that. But I think there's times in which God says, okay, you wanna do it, you know, you wanna do it that way and you wanna move away and you wanna make bad choices, then life isn't gonna go so well for you. It just won't. And if you think about that, and try to think through times in which maybe I made a poor choice, 
I slip backwards and I'm wondering what God is gonna, you think about those times and what you will come to the conclusion as is that's right, man. Things just weren't, were gone so well. They just didn't go so well. And they fished all night long and they got no fish. So the story goes on. It says early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, check this out, because I love it. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, the answer, and he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, I wanna explain this. Um, and the people that are gonna understand this in the room are the dudes, okay? So if you're a guy, you're gonna get this. Ladies, you're clueless, and here's why. Because you don't understand dudes. Am I right, ladies? You do not understand us. Any ladies ever, you say amen to that, okay? Like, I do not understand you sometimes, okay? Here's why. Because dudes don't like to be told what to do. Can I get an amen in the house of God, okay? We don't like that. We don't like people to tell us what to do when we don't ask for their help. We just don't like, we're egotistical. We do not do well with that. Let me give you a couple examples. Let's say my neighbor has straight lawns in his lawn. He mows his grass and me and the lines are perfectly straight, okay? Because I'm a straight line guy, okay? So I, I notice his lawn and it's so great. I go over to him and say, dude, man, your lawn looks great, man. How do you get it so straight? And he says, okay, here's how I do it. Okay, now watch this. That's all okay. All that's okay. But if I'm mowing in my lawn and he comes over, uninvited and says, hey man, here's how you can get your line straighter. Dude, we can't be friends anymore. We can't be friends anymore because you uh, told me what to do without me asking. Am I right, guys? You know what I'm talking about. I'm a, I'm a golfer, okay? Happens on the golf course all the time. So if I putt, and every time I putt, I'm missing a little bit to the right, okay? Every putt, man, a little bit to the right. So I look at one of the guys I'm playing with, and I said, hey, man, do me a favor. Next time on the green, look at this, look at my line, and, and see why I'm missing it on the right. That's all okay. All that's okay. But if I putt and I miss it on the right, and he comes up and says, hey, I'm gonna tell you how you make that. We can't play golf together anymore. We can't do that, okay? Because dudes don't deal with that. And so here's these guys fishing all night long. All night they've been fishing. All night, nothing. And there's some dude on the beach, a hundred yards away. So far they don't even know who he is. He's so far away. And the dude on the beach yells, hey, you caught any fish? <laughs> and if you're a dude, yeah, God, you didn't hear him. And then he says this, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And if there's an honest guy in the room, if you're in the boat, here's what you do. Shut up. That's what you say to the Lord of the universe, okay? Because we don't deal with that. And that was crazy because he not only offered unrequested help, he gave them the most ridiculous thing in the world to do. Hey, just throw the net on the other side of the boat. Duh. 
if they ain't biting here, they ain't biting there, okay? So why is that in the Bible? I think it has a purpose to it. I think it has something to say with what God wants people to know when we make a failure, when we slip, when we drift, we made a bad choice, did something wrong, didn't do the right thing. I think God wants to hear something. And what he wants to say to us is I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me because my way is better than your way. And when you do it your way, you're gonna have to deal with all the consequences of that and life's just gonna be wrinkled. I'm not talking about horrible people doing horrible things. I'm not what I'm talking about. But when we have those times in our life and I think about them, every time I disappoint him, every time I fail, the reason I did that is because I, I chose that my way is better than his way right now. And he just says, dude, you gotta trust me because your way is not gonna turn out well. And so ask yourself this. Have you been fishing on the wrong side of the boat? Because if you've ever fished on the wrong side of the boat, it just, it just isn't gonna work out. And he says, I want you to trust me. You know why? Because he knows better how to love your spouse than you know. And he knows better how to manage your money than you do. And he knows better how to fold your schedule with right things and keeping bad things. He knows the right thing to say to that person at work that you don't like and you don't know. Trust me. And so that comes up in this powerful lesson and then the story continues and right about now is when it really gets electric. So let me read it. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John, okay? Side note, whenever John writes, he refers to himself like this. The disciple whom Jesus loved, me. That's what John is saying, okay? And he said to Peter, he said, it is the Lord, it's the Lord over there. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, check this out. <coughs> this is beautiful. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. How far are they? 100 yards. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. Now stop that just for, just for a second. Stop there for a minute. And I, I, I view this in my mind. I don't know if it's how it happened, but here's Peter. He's in, man, and he's swimming. So the rest of them, six of them, are rowing, okay? Now, my guess is one dude swimming, fully clothed, is gonna go about the same speed as six dudes rowing, okay? So picture it. Here's these six dudes, and there's Peter. And they're saying, dude, you wanna ride? No, I'm good. You wanna ride? No, I'm good. And they're racing to the shore. And they get to the shore, and this is where the story is going to blow your mind. Because two things are gonna happen when Peter gets to the shore. Don't miss this. 
two things that already happened another time. And so Peter arrives to the shore and here's one of the things that happened. When they landed, they saw a fire, a burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I just stopped there. <laughs> I will be confronted by Jesus in heaven for my sarcasm about the word of God throughout my life. I look at this, and here's what I would say. <laughs> Dude, where'd you get the fish, man? We've been fishing all night, and you got fish on it. But there's something bigger that happens in this verse right here. I'm gonna show it to you in a minute. So Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same thing with the fish. And this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, now watch this. Please catch this. Please catch this. This is my passion about this sermon today. Two things happened that we just read that had already happened. One of them was the catching miraculously of all these fish. And if you're a Bible person, we just read it here, and you're thinking, didn't that happen another time? Yes. Happened a long time ago. And Jesus was teaching early in his ministry. And there were so many people that were around him listening to him. He was on a shore again that he got into a boat that was there. And he pushed the boat back a little bit so that he could address the crowd and not be crushed. And when he was done with that, he said to the crowd, hey, whose boat's this? And this guy says, it's my boat. He goes, come here, man, get in your boat. And he goes, take it out there a little bit. The water's deeper there and, and see if you can catch some fish. And this guy goes back and he throws the net in and he catches so many fish that his net started to break. And the owner of the boat was mind blown. And his name was Peter. And that day, Peter turned his total devotion to Jesus. That's where he became a total follower. He left his family, he devoted his life for the rest of his life to Jesus because he saw what Jesus did on the water catching those fish. And now the same thing happens. Listen, don't miss this. The same thing happens in a moment of Peter's failure. And Jesus repeats the miraculous catch to tell Peter, who had just made a terrible mistake, who had fallen. He wanted to tell Peter, I remember when you fell in love with me. So when I... When I do what I know I'm not supposed to do for the 10th time. And I'm wondering, what does he think of me? His answer is, I remember 
when you fell in love with me. Do you remember when you fell in love with him? And Jesus will never forget that. And so you've got this whole crazy thing about the catching of these fish that is repeated now. And then there's another thing that gets repeated. And they look on the shore and there's Jesus. He's got this campfire going and he's frying up some fish. And the Bible says that there was a fire of burning coals. And you probably have read that as we put it up on the screen. You probably read that a million times and haven't thought anything about it. But fire of burning coals, those four words, they're, they're used different ways in different translations of the Bible. All kinds of different translations translate that all different. That's one word. It actually sounds like anthrax. And what it refers to is a hot fire that's coming from a source that is not wood, it's like a coal. Think of it like a charcoal briquette, okay? So Jesus has a charcoal fire frying up some fish and you and I would think nothing of that whatsoever other than there's one other place in the Bible where that word is used. A fire of burning coals, anthrax, only two times. One is in our text, let me tell you about the other time. It wasn't that much earlier for Peter. It was the night that Jesus died. And they had arrested him and they'd take him into the city and some of the disciples were kind of following and kind of hiding back in the shadows. They wanted to see what was happening to Jesus. Middle of the night, Peter's one of them. And he's watching him take him here and there. He's just kind of hiding. And as he lurks through the city of Jerusalem in the middle of the night, he noticed a group of guys over there it was cold. They had a fire going warm in their hands. And Peter went over to the fire and warms his hands. And when you read that story in the Bible, it is a fire of burning coals. And these guys looked at Peter and said, you look like him. You sound like him, man. You got the same accent as him. We think you're one of his disciples. And while Jesus warms his hands over a fire of burning coals, he says to them, I am not one of his disciples. And now, days later, Peter shows up on the sh shore and there's Jesus frying fish over a fire of burning coals because he looks at Peter and says, I remember when you were in the fire. I remember when you fell in love with me in the water and I remember when you made your mistake in the fire. I remember. Now watch, watch this. The very next thing that our story says that Jesus invited him to have breakfast for him. And I've, I've told you before, I try to ramp up myself and get passionate and get in the zone. And this is the thing that I've been, I've just been, can't wait to share with our church family. Who do you eat breakfast with? Who do you normally eat breakfast with? You normally have breakfast with the people that you're closest to. 
They stayed in your house that night. They're your family, your close friends, their guests. And we have breakfast with the people that we are closest to. And the reason this isn't a dinner story is because Jesus is saying to Peter, I know who you were in the water. I remember when you gave your life to me. And I also remember what you did at the fire. But even though you've been in the fire, I still want to have breakfast with you. And so what is the point of John 21 for anybody in the room who slips is that Jesus says, you're still invited to my breakfast table. And I know what it's like, gang, when we slip, when we drift, when we fail, the devil is accusing us. The Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren and the Satan power will say to you, you're not loved, you're not wanted, you're a failure, get out of here, God's done with you. And Jesus says, no, I know you've been in the fire, but I saw you on the water and you are always welcome at my table. Can I have glory to God? So here's, here's what I get out of this story is that when I screw up, the God of mercy and grace still wants to have breakfast with me because he remembers my moment in the water. Man, that's good stuff. The story then moves into the section where most people think this is what John 21 is about. And we're not even at that section yet, but let me read it for you real quick. It's the ending of the story. It says, when they had finished eating, Simon, or Jesus said to Simon Peter, it almost seems like maybe they got up and they kind of walked off by themselves and had a private conversation. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know, I love you. And Jesus said, then I want you to feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then I want you to take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said that I want you to feed my sheep. And I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you went, wanted, but when you're old, you're gonna stretch out your hands and someone else is gonna dress you and lead you where you do not wanna go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, most people know about John 21, they think that's kind of the meat of the story there. And it's because of some kind of uh, almost off the wall things that come up that I don't think are the point. Um, you know, he asked him, do you love me three times because Peter had denied him three times. So is that why Jesus did it? We don't know. We don't know that. 
And some people get caught up on the fact that he used a different word for love. The first two times when he said love me, he said, do you agapao me? It's the word agape love, a sacrificial total love. And then the last time he asked him, he said, do you love me like a friend? He used a different word for friend. And some people think Jesus intended to do that. I don't know. I don't know. I think he was just using a variety of different words. And then some people get caught up in the fact that, um, that he, he said to him that, uh, that Lord, I, I, I know I love you. You know that I love you. And he just kept coming back to that. And I, I just don't think, I don't think any of that's the point. I think the point when you read this is to pay attention to what Jesus did. And if you're, you're here today and you feel like, man, this sermon is for me today, I'm begging that you would hear this. Because I think that if you pay attention to the final conclusion of the story, you will notice that every time Jesus asked him, do you love me? Jesus took the conversation to the future. He didn't keep coming back to the fire. He didn't come back to how you messed up. That's not where the conversation went. The conversation went, I'm concerned about your future. And so the the overarching power of what God says to his family when they go through these moments of time really comes down to this, is God would say, I'm more interested in what you can do in the future than what you did in the past. And some of y'all gang are caught in that. And you have believed the enemy that because of what I did or what I didn't do or because I'm not where I ought to be, that God is over me. And I want you to know that God is far more concerned about what you can be tomorrow than what you were yesterday. Your past does not have to define you. Would somebody say amen to that? And that's what he wants you to know. There's a, a few of you in this room who have read, because uh, I've heard some people tell me uh, that you've taken some time to read Arthur Gordon's uh, beautiful little book called Return to Wonder. And it's just a, a gorgeous little book with some really cool things in it. And um, there's something that he brings up in his, his book that has such an impact and is so true to what we just talked about that I thought I, I want to read that story to you. And so I typed it up, and I just want to read a little section here of this story, and you kind of get in the mood of it, and I think it's a perfect icing on the cake uh, to John chapter 21. So let me read it like I'm, I don't know, Grandpa Dave reading to the family here. So, so Arthur wrote this, while growing up in my family, we had a custom as we moved toward Easter. The children were given little offering boxes in which they would put money for their Easter offering. It was called a mite box. And you might remember that, okay? I remember those little boxes. And the trouble in my case, Arthur writes, is that sometimes, and he's writing as the viewpoint of a little child. The trouble in my case is that sometimes in moments of acute financial need, I would pry some of the coins out of my box. 
And my conscience gnawed me a bit, but not too severely, because I always intended to put the money back for God before Easter. But somehow or another, I was always chronically short, and I never did. And then the fateful morning would always come. With Easter's morning dawn, Aunt Daisy would come over and always go to church with us on Easter after breakfast. After eating, we were to bring in our mite boxes for inspection by our parents. My sister, a saint at an early age, don't you hate those goody two-shoe sisters? My sister, a saint at an early age, was clean as a whistle. And her box was always filled with nickels and dimes and quarters. It had never been opened. Mine was dog-eared and dirty with smudges on it from illicit openings in the face of financial crises. I would look inside at a few surviving pennies rattling about. Now, my father knew how wicked I'd been, and he gave me a lecture every Easter. Why are you so selfish. Why can't you think less about yourself and more about others? He was intent on making me feel my guilt, and he was always successful. Finally, Aunt Daisy, who was tired of it all, fished in her purse and would draw out a 50-cent piece and looked into my dazzled eyes. Here, she said, put this in your mite box. Not fair, out my, my saintly sister. That's not right, Daisy, said my angry father. The boy should not be rewarded for poor performance. Well, Aunt Daisy just smiled to my sister. She said, you're right, dear, it's not fair, but never you mind. God will remember how faithful you've been. And to my father, she said, haven't you ever had a gift that you did not deserve? I should think Easter might remind you of that. And then her warm brown eyes rested on me, the chief of sinners. And she said, Arthur, God loves all sinners, large ones and small ones like you. But don't push him too far. And that's why we're here in this room right now. Because even though we've been in the fire, he has invited you by grace to his table. Father, you are good. You are so, so good. I don't know who in the room that this was intended for, but I know it was intended for somebody. My guess is quite a few of us. And so my prayer is that the reminder of your grace will motivate them for the future and not the past. And then you will receive the glory for all that you've done. Amen and amen.